0: Hello and welcome to Terrace Memoirs and the latest delve into the life of a football supporter. I'm Dave Harris. I'm a Reading fan of 32 years, season ticket holder for 22. And uh, following on from the uh, the epic chat that I had with Neil Cottrell uh, and his insightful talk on the issues faced by Birmingham City uh, in recent years. Um, many of those issues, of course, which mirror the circumstances at my club, Reading, Um I simply couldn't do a series on clubs that have suffered ownership and financial problems uh, without talking to an expert. Now, that, of course, isn't to say uh, that the people who have recorded episodes with me so far aren't experts on their own clubs, of course. Uh, But today's uh, will be different in some ways because uh, my guest today has a much, much more holistic view uh, on um, on football finance. So uh, not only has he witnessed his own club uh, Brighton suffer from some of the worst ownership issues in recent, recent years, and looking at the, the 90s with the asset stripping, which of course involved the sale of the Goldstone Ground, um, and nowhere new to move into once that sale had gotten through. Uh, he's also written a book entitled The Price of Football, has appeared multiple times on TV, radio, and various podcasts, um, and of course co-hosts his own podcast, also entitled The Price of Football, uh, with uh, comedian Kevin Day. And, uh, of course, if you don't re- already know, the person that I speak of is Kieran Maguire, uh, and a man who is the font of all knowledge when it comes to football finance and governance. So now I've um, blown enough smoke up his backside. Uh, here you are. Warmly welcome to the podcast, uh, Kieran. How are you?
1: I- I'm very good, David. Che- check's in the post, by the way, for the- after that introduction. <laughs> uh, very, very, very kind words. Um, I- I- I'm not sure they're all deserved, if, if-, if truth be told, but... Uh, I've got a big enough ego to cope with it.
0: Oh, good stuff! Good stuff. So uh, let's just get get started then on on Brighton. Uh, you're a Brighton fan. You're really originally um, from London, though, aren't you? Um, but how how did you end up uh, supporting Brighton? How did that come about? Um, well, I, I
1: I grew up in London till I was about I think about six or seven, and then we moved to uh, Chelmsford. Uh, you know, in Essex. And my my mm-hmm. old man wasn't interested in football. So I used to go and watch Chelmsford City in, uh, in, in the old Southern League, as it was in those mm-hmm. days. And uh, yeah, it, it, this is a crazy thing to say. In, in 1970, an eight-year-old kid taking himself off to a football match was just accepted. You know, it, 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 these days, I suspect, uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, social services would be involved. But I used to go and just – I was just mad, on, mad keen on football. Um, and my old man worked for American Express – he was an engineer and uh, they moved their european headquarters to brighton so so we moved there when i was uh 11 and uh, one of the neighbors was a you know had a season ticket he offered to take me and and that was it you know i was i, I was hooked uh i used to go pretty regularly my school was about a mile away from the ground i mean i, I lived quite a quite a fair distance away but, but you know again in those days you would get a bus you'd cycle you'd do whatever you had to do to to go and see uh to go and see football and that you know it was that that was that was it and you know i i can still i think i think one of the first matches i saw was when, when brighton were quite a glamorous team in the in the mid 70s brian clough mm-hmm. uh then then the uh his his sidekick peter taylor took over with peter ward come through the ranks alan mullery took over as manager we had a couple of fantastic seasons in the equivalents of the championship before getting promoted in 79 so I, I was fortunate enough to be there at sort of the the, the, the start of I guess our our uh, our, our glory run and then uh, and then the subsequent demise resulting in uh, finishing 91st in the uh, in, in the football pyramid two years running
0: mm-hmm. yes of course. But that's all a far cry from what it's like today. Um, And you must be quite optimistic going into, well, going into the season and, of course, with uh, three wins from three, including the League Cup win. um, Sounds like and looks like that Graham Potter's finally hit upon a formula where you can actually um, take the chances that you're creating, which was a problem last season, wasn't
1: it? Yes, we've managed to go from XG to G, which is, it's better to to go in. Opposite one. Um, so, uh, yeah, last season under Graham Potter, we were every spreadsheet nerd's darling because of our uh, ability to, to dominate matches, create chances, and then uh, for, for a combination of bad luck, bad finishing, good saves, you know, VAR... Uh, you know, we, 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 if it could go wrong, it, it, it tended to go wrong, culminating, I think, in uh, conceding a penalty after the final whistle had gone in a particular match. And we just thought, well, it's just, it's just be one of those seasons, and you sometimes you have to accept it. But yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the club, the club has a definitive strategy. Um, it's a long-term strategy, which could mean, of course, in the short term, that we end up getting relegated. But they. Uh, it, it's nice to see a plan come to fruition.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of clubs that could take you know, take some. i uh, well, just just take a look at the at, at, well, Brighton at Brentford at clubs of that ilk that have, uh, that, have, that have that have gained their success on the back of of, of what they do and the philosophy that they that they uh, that they've taken on. Um, so. Uh, Originally when you was when you sort of started going to football then, um you said you you're an eight-year-old child taking yourself off to Chelmsford City and then of course going to Brighton. Um that, that time in the early eighties following Brighton must have been well, you, you say they mentioned that they were they were the glory years at the time. Um they you know, culminating in an FA Cup final appearance as well, isn't it? And you know that must have been some uh, some really interesting times following following the Albion.
1: Um yes, yes, it was because I, I was at uh I was I was at university at Manchester, and in and in those days, I was able to watch uh, United at Old Trafford from the Stretford end, go to watch City from the Kipax, then if Brighton were playing up north, I'd go and watch them as well. And I, I just feasted myself upon football um, because it, it was in those days still, you know, romantically the people's game, and it, you know the cost of seeing a match especially with student prices it was you know it was between 1 pound and 1 pound 50 uh, to to stand on the terraces and, and and see some some amazing football take place but it was also if truth be told a, a scary time to be a football fan you know and mm-hmm. yeah. we, we, we we like to romanticize about you know players were players and pitches were muddy but glorious but uh, if 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 you were an away fan, you were you were genuinely taking on a, a risk uh, if if you went to to certain grounds uh, and and you got spotted at the station or you know you, you didn't wear colours because uh, it, it was it, it was fairly uh, you know the politest way I can say is lively. But I mean I, I can I, I can remember probably one of the scariest was going to Molyneux on a Tuesday night. Uh, there was probably about eleven or twelve thousand. So again, you know, one of the things which people forget was that you know, cr- crowds were rubbish. You mm-hmm. know Manchester United were getting around about thirty eight thousand in the in the equivalent of the top division uh, and and they were the best supported club in the country. Uh, but I, I think I went to Molyneux probably you know eleven or twelve thousand there on a Tuesday night. We won, and then it was you had to get back to the station and you had to go through an underpass. And, yes. And, and they yeah, were waiting. the Subways. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was, it was quite notorious. And the, uh, you, you got your time, mate. Yeah, and and, and you know, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. As soon, as soon as you open your mouth, that was it. You, uh, you yeah, yeah, a serious slap.
0: Yeah, I, I one of my uh, well, former colleagues, a Birmingham City fan, used to talk has mentioned exactly the same sort of tactic that was used on him at Leeds. And yeah, um, yeah. as soon as he opened his mouth, they 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 knew um, that he was a. But he wasn't from the local area, shall we say? And uh, yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough that I I started watching football at the very back end of the 1980s, so I missed a lot of the worst of it. Obviously, it still happens, um, yeah. but it's you know nowhere near as prevalent as it was back in the day. Um, how, how I suppose? How did you how, how did you try to avoid that? Was it just a case of keeping your you know keeping a watchful eye and get eyes in the back of your head or um, yeah.
1: Well, well, all all that. Just keep your head down. You know, I, I'd be I'd be there with my donkey jacket on, with uh, NZ NC, NCB for the National Coal Board on the back of it, pretending to be a, a supporter of the miners or something like that, and you're know, just trying to you know try. and... Yeah. Um, don't don't give anything away. Sometimes I'd go I'd go and stand in the home end and just keep my mouth shut just to watch the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. I, I, I can remember going to Sunderland in 1982, where where we had to win to avoid relegation, and they needed they needed a win as well because they were in danger of going down. And we we probably had about seventy fans turn up. Yeah, this was for a Saturday game. It was it was completely different mentality. And I remember getting getting off at Seaburn, which was one of the closest uh, closest stations to. Um, to Sunderland. Uh, you know, At those days, they were playing at Roker Park and mm-hmm. I, I must have stood out like a sore thumb for whatever reason. Um, and uh, the Coppers said, you know, to me and a bunch of mates, we'll give you a lift to the ground and, and back again. You know, they, they were absolutely brilliant, but uh, we, you know, it's one of those matches we scored a last minute winner and uh, the Sunderland fans, and I, and I love Sunderland as a, as, as, as a club and as, as, a, as a fan base. I think they're fantastic and as a city. But uh, yeah, they 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 were not uh, they were not happy. Fortunately for them, they they went to Anfield the following Saturday, and, and Stan Cummins scored the winning goal, which kept them up.
0: Mm-hmm. But it was
1: uh, yeah, for, for it, it was a case of keeping your wits about you, uh, not not goading the fans the way that people tend to these days, because it, it is a more uh, it, it is it is more pantomime. Uh, villainy that we see in, in modern mm-hmm. football. All, all those, you know, we, we saw the events at uh, uh, in France uh, a couple of days ago, where the match got called off due to yes. fans and, and uh, fans and players coming to an altercation. Um, so, you know, it's it's it, it's improved in in many ways. Uh, you know, it's it's far more diverse as well in terms of the, the nature of the people that go. Uh, you, know, you, you can go as a family, but yeah, and I think families used to go in the past as well. You know, there, there was always family areas. Um, but the uh, you know the the, the the hooligans try to paint themselves as saying, oh yeah yeah, we never picked on scarfers or family or families or women or anything. No, mm-hmm. no, they they were pretty indiscriminate in in my observation. You know, they they mm-hmm. they were just up for a ruck.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that tends to go uh, to, to an extent in, in my experience as well um I, i've certainly been threatened before just for wearing my own shirt um at, at a variety of places uh which you know is, is is you know intimidating you know but again i suppose you know you, you the fact that i could do that or felt comfortable doing that uh sort of going somewhere t- just is a, is a an indication that times have perhaps changed i wish I, you know i could never have done that at a, a number of places in the um, in the 70s and 80s based on what i know it's funny you mentioned about the um uh, the sort of last minute winner i think uh, there's a often discussion amongst uh, red fans about the goal that you wish you'd never seen them score uh and there were um 2 300 red fans made their made their way to birmingham i get birmingham city again yeah um uh last day of the season i think it was in 90 it's either 1990 or 91 and uh yeah it, it, it Reading scored a last-minute winner through Michael Jilks uh, and it denied Birmingham either a playoff place or a, um, a, a, an automatic promotion place. And, yeah, uh, it, as he went through on goal, um, there were a lot of people apparently turning around to each other or looking at each other thinking, don't score this, please don't score this. <laughs> yes. And uh, exactly. he scored it and uh, they had to run the gauntlet all the way back to, to New Street. Uh, yeah, it's was, a fair uh, old distance I can imagine well, it? Yeah. It is, yeah. So... But uh, yeah, so but the good times then following Brighton in the eighties. I mean, we mentioned about the FA Cup run, uh, which got you to the final, a final which you know you should have won. <laughs> Let's yep. face it, yes. uh, that inf- infamous chance. Um, were you there for that? Did you uh, did you go to uh, to many of the games that season? Yes, yes. I mean, it, it was uh, we had a
1: pretty tough run. We we started off. Uh, we started off by drawing with Newcastle at home. Then we beat them in a replay, um, and they had two goals disallowed. I think Kevin Keegan had them both disallowed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we beat Manchester City four-one. Then we then we won at Anfield, which was an amazing a- a- achievement because it was Liverpool in in their utter pomp. Uh, and you've got to give the Liverpool fans a huge amount of credit that day. Jimmy Case scored the winner. Jimmy Mealy, our manager, was an ex Liverpool player, and they were the, the they were the most magnanimous of uh, of, of fans. Uh, the way that they they gave us you know, because they could have given us a real pasting after the match, but they, they just wished us be- all the best. Um, and, and yeah, I, I saw it. You know, Norwich in the quarterfinals. Uh, and then the, Sheff- the Sheffield Wednesday uh the in the semi-finals which we won 2-1 so yeah i, I can remember practically every minute of of that run and and it, and it was great and uh it-, it would have been wonderful if gordon smith had scored in in the last minute of extra time and i have been through that particular run by michael robinson god rest his soul um and uh smith sh- shooting into gary bailey's legs yes it was yes. Uh, yeah,
0: I got I mean, the, the remarkable thing with that. I mean, not, not only is it an absolute guilt edged chance, but, you know, but Gary Bailey saved it, but also managed to hold on to it uh, from point blank range. You know, not usually there's a rebound that falls to a player, but he's just, it's, it stuck to him, didn't it? Yeah, it, it stuck. It stuck between
1: his legs. It was it was, uh, you know, we were still staggered that Robinson had passed because he, he was he was a fairly selfish striker. And, and he was you know he's a fantastic player. He went, he went on to play for Liverpool, of course, and uh, uh, then QPR and Osasuna, and had a fantastic career as a uh, as, as a Spanish TV presenter. So he was uh, he was multitasked, and I I met him about three years ago at the World Football Summit, and uh, you know he, he'd had cancer and he was he he wasn't looking great, and and you know it, it's it's very sad when. When yeah, people of my generation, because although I am old, I don't consider myself to be old. That uh, you know, we've already lost out our captain and and our probably our best player of of that era. Uh, yeah, and uh, that was only 1983.
0: Does that bring a sense of your own mortality towards you? Or because I'm, I'm I'm 39 at the moment, and you know, you say that you feel old. Um, I you know, I can't believe that it's it's actually been. You know, twenty-three years since we moved to the AC Stadium, for example, Reading. Um, but there, there's still players, you know, plenty of players around. There's not many players that that I think I can think of that I've seen play that have for Reading anyway that have that have passed away. So, yeah, does that uh, does that bring that that sort of sense of your own personal mortality towards you, or is it not something that really registers at this moment in time?
1: Unfortunately, it it does because some of the lads who I went to school with who I've, you know, I've I've lived most I lived for 40 years in Manchester in my life. Uh you know, I went to university there, but I'd see the same faces week in, week out, lads who I went to school with and and some of us are no longer there. And it and it does make you a little bit circumspect because you think, hold on, yeah, these guys are professional athletes and if they can pass away young, uh, you know, and, and perhaps it's a wake up call to, to people at my generation because I have you know, put on too much weight. I, I, my diet's not as good as it should be. So and I've, I've just taken up uh, a walking football. And I thought, I'm never going to do that. I, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm I'm not that old. Uh, but then you realize, <laughs> actually, uh, the first time I played it, the, the aches and pains were just like a, a proper 90 minutes.
0: Yeah, I've always often wondered about that. I mean, do, when you, when you're playing walking football, you're, obviously you obviously you can't break out into a run, can you? Um, how do you? Is it literally almost like that sort of that penguin walk, where you go really stiff, stiff legged to uh, to, well, to 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 literally walk as fast as you can?
1: How how, I mean, how does that how, how does that work? Well, the, 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 some people are you know sometimes accused of trotting. Yeah, that's that's pretty heinous crime. <laughs> um mo- most of the time it- it's a case of using space um and, and angles yeah you, know, you know it's it's often been said that the the a really good football or the, the the first yard they play in their head well that's that's probably even more important uh in walking football but it's i, I think it's actually it- it's it's good for you physically and it- and it's good from a from a much broader well-being issue because uh, I was on uh, I, I was on BBC Radio this morning talking about the uh, the tragic death of uh, their, the the uh, the Yeovil Town captain Lee Collins who took his life, mm-hmm. um, and then we had the young man at uh, Manchester City who who killed himself uh, you know, after he was released as an academy player. We have seen you know, what what happened to to Gary Speed as well and. You know, without wanting to get onto any form of soapbox men are pretty rubbish at expressing themselves and uh, you know building up a building up a network especially when you are you know we're, we're just coming out of lockdown we've been isolated to actually talk to people and uh, yeah it's, and sometimes when you get to know people you can have that conversation of you know I'm, I'm, I'm going for a wee four times a night now, should I go and see a GP? Yes, you should. mate. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the downside? Oh, well, we only owe COVID and don't get. No, no. no they, they they want to see you. So, yeah, um, uh, you know, because you you don't want to tell your wife because she's going to worry about things. So, uh, ha- having having an outlet uh, as as a as a football fan um, and just talking nonsense because that you know what what I found as a result of COVID is that I, I don't have. Stupid conversations anymore. You know, everything tends to be very precise, because I have spent the last week I've, I've, sorry the last eighteen months like many people working almost exclusively from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the nature of the media work that I do, and I think I think I did something like six hundred interviews in twenty twenty, and uh, you know a combination of Manchester City's FFP. Uh, issues with UEFA a Super League and uh, lunatics taking over clubs has has kept me fairly busy this year. It is that it's it's precise questions which require
0: precise
1: and often brief answers, mm-hmm. and actually you just want to have a chat at times, and and and, and you miss that.
0: Yeah, that, that I can I can completely buy that, and I know, you know from my own personal experience um, that you know not being able to or not feeling able to to open up uh, cost me. Uh, well, nearly cost me uh, quite dear in 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 personal uh, personal circumstances related to work um that was not a pleasant, pleasant experience i can tell you oh, sorry um, to hear that uh, yeah yeah well, shit happens yeah i'm over it now so uh, it's all water under the bridge as they say nice. so but um talking about um water under the bridge and shit times um we i mean it, it seems you know, quite a good uh, place to to to, to brighten again and um just talk about the issues that they experienced in the 1990s, because not only were they were they suffering financially, um, the owners, of course, essentially were asset strippers, and as I mentioned in the uh, the preamble, uh, sold the Goldstone with nowhere to move into, didn't they? And it all it all, nearly went horribly wrong for Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. It it, it
1: did indeed, and and this was actually partially a hangover from those years in which we were in in the top division so so we had two players on 10 year contracts which made them pretty close to the, the highest paid players in in English football and remember in those days there was there was no there was no live football uh, apart from mm-hmm. the FA Cup final so the you know, broadcast revenues didn't exist um crowds were so-so you know I, I think our i think our third season or fourth season in the uh in in the old top division i think we averaged about 13 or fourteen thousand, which was we are half of what you know the, the 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 years in in the in the division below in our first season in in the in the top division so you know the, the crowds weren't coming in commercial commercial partners you know you you had a front of shirt sponsorship but when you were on match of the day you weren't allowed to advertise your sponsor you had to wear a sponsor free shirt so so money wasn't coming into the game and uh we, uh, we, we got it wrong, you know, the, the club was losing money. And that meant, uh, along with uh, the, the chairman died, um, the vice chairman, he died, new people came in, it, it wasn't being well run. And, and we were sort of, we, we sort of entered a, a sort of a quasi sort of pass the parcel scenario, similar to what we've seen with clubs such as Portsmouth and Leeds. Um, and eventually, we were uh, controlled by uh, two guys. Uh, a guy called Greg Stanley, who's who's who who was who was a Brighton fan, or so we thought, um, and uh, a guy called Bill Archer, who was who was not a football fan, but he he saw an investment opportunity in buying the club. And yeah, we uh, we we found out that the ground had been sold in order to pay off some debts. And uh, originally, we were going to, you know, share with Club X or Club Y, or they were they were promising to build a ground on somewhere which we knew would never get planning permission. Um, and then, yeah, the Goldstone's been sold for seven million pounds to, uh, to to clear debts, and we're moving to Gillingham. Uh, and within twelve months, the Goldstone was was sold on by the new owners for twenty five million. So. Uh, I'll leave you to fill in the gaps as to the, uh, the the reaction of the fan base and the perception there. So, it it, it was tough, and the, the the final match at the Goldstone. You know, at the time we were uh, we were bottom of the old. I think they called it Division Three in those days, but effectively the fourth tier. What's what's now League Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we at one point we <coughs> were twelve points adrift. There were. Marches. There were pitch invasions. Um, there were, some people called them riots. I, mean, I, I remember in, invading the pitch myself on the final match of the previous season. You know, as far as I was concerned, it, it was peaceful. You we know, had 1,000 fans sitting in the centre circle. But uh, the, the, the perception of football fans in the mid-90s was that uh, we were animals, we were hooligans, um, and uh, you know, we, we suffered on the back of that. So um yeah we 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 ended up in Gillingham somehow we 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 survived and moved back to um an athletics track which was totally unsuited for football but it was better than the alternative which was a 150 mile round trip for a home game mm-hmm. um, and it, and it took us 11 years uh, to to go through three planning processes and Again, I think the we, we, you know, let's be honest. Brighton's cosmopolitan city; um, it's uh, it, it's an arty city, and within our fan base, we've we've got people who utilise that to our advantage to 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 gain publicity for the cause of of building us a stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, we 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 released a, we released a record which went to number twenty one in the charts because we knew that if every brighton fan bought it in the week of release it would get noticed it would get in the newspapers we went to the the old chairman's house in near blackburn when we were playing up north and uh one of our fans a guy called attila the stroke stockbroker he he recited some poetry outside of this bloke's house who had gone actually gone away for the weekend and the police says okay lads you've You've uh, you've read your poetry. Can you go home now? And, and, and we did that very politely. And we even we even <laughs> cleared up all the rubbish that we left. So it was it, it, it was trying to uh, use nonviolent direct action to uh, highlight the cause. And, and this is something which we've all we've encouraged other clubs to do through the likes of Fans United. And, uh, you know, we, we I, I know I've spoken on, on regular occasions to. Uh, the uh the blackpool knights who are who who fought against uh, the, the Owen oyston regime and so on and mm-hmm. that 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 its it's a long turgid process um and then through a combination of of luck and family uh we had a we had a minority shareholder tony bloom who had a few successful years in he he was willing to fund the the building of the new stadium because bank banks were not willing to go near Brighton Hove Albion football club, or indeed any football club following the financial crash of 2007. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we ended up, in fact, we, we just celebrated our, our 10th anniversary at, uh, uh, at, at, at the Falmer stadium, at the MX stadium. And it's in, in the main, it's been absolutely amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, uh- I think it's fair to say that you've been punching at the top end of divisions or certainly at the very least, apart from a, a six-month, well, apart from the 14-15 season, which was the, um, uh, I want to call it, it wasn't an experiment, but you had Sammy Hoopier as, as your manager for the first six months of the season before uh, Chris Hewton was appointed. Um, and it wasn't a, exactly what you call a successful season, um, but you were eventually quite safe from relegation at the end of that. But every other season has been punching at the top end, hasn't it? Um, yes.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know we, we've—I think we were in the playoffs four times, um, and got knocked out uh, before getting to the the playoff finals in each of those occasions. And that that was that was tough. The, the toughest one of the lot was losing at home to Palace mm-hmm. in, in the playoff semi-finals. So, um, you know, I, I was I was in Manchester at the time, and and that drive home was. Uh, with four other blokes, was the most silent journey of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I can, I can, I can quite believe it. That was the the infamous uh, game with the uh, the issues in the changing room, wasn't there? Shall we say? Without well, going yes. into too much detail, yes, um, which kind of um, riled riled Palace up a bit, didn't it?
1: Yes, Poo done it? I think was the uh, the headline <laughs> at the time, and if, if people yeah. want to look that up, I'll 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 leave it.
0: Google it, folks. Google it. Yes, absolutely. But uh, it seems um, I mean, Reading and Brighton were, were knocking around each other for a number of years. It just seemed to be a matter of time before Brighton event, eventually um, were promoted to the Premier League, and you know that happened two thousand and seventeen. It's what the stadium was built for, um, and it's been fairly comfortable since then in the Premier League, hasn't it?
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. We've fifteenth, sixteenth has been our. Uh, seasons um we have never been in the position where we've got to February and thought we're safe now so but but uh, uh whilst a, a couple of seasons have been twitchy but somehow d- despite heart high- finishing you know not no higher than 15th in, in the premier league uh in in the four finish seasons that we've had we've never actually been in in the relegation zone uh during any of those times so it, it's uh, it's a very narrow band that that we filled and normally we've had a couple of results each season which have helped push us uh towards safety uh but our inability to beat the teams around us has been the achilles heel which which is why it's so delightful to to start off 2021-22 by beating Burnley and Watford, because with no disrespect to either of those clubs, we see them as bottom six rivals. And last season, if you look at the three sides that went down, uh, you know, we we lost and drew to Sheffield United, who were a very poor team last season. We lost and drew to West Brom, and we we drew twice with Fulham, and we and we drew twice with Burnley. Those were the four sides that finished below us, and we, we didn't manage to beat them once. So, mm-hmm. um, th- this season they're not glamorous fixtures to start off with, but six points means that we're now looking from 30. I think you can probably stay up with 36 if you're realistic. Um, So so, we're now looking for 30 points from the next 36 games. And it's a a terrible thing to say that um, because of the nature of of football now and and the wealth and talent being concentrated in the hands of so few, that... uh, you know, ambition for us is top twelve, top fourteen, whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Steve Coppell, when we were in the Premier League, often said back um, then it was only the top four: Arsenal, United, um, Chelsea, and Liverpool. Uh, you had um, uh, thirty games to pick up your points, and anything against those those four were bonus points, effectively. Yeah. Not that yeah. not that they were um, uh, sort of thrown away as it were, they didn't, they didn't just sort of throw the game. Um, but um, yeah, anything that you got against those were bonus points and that would help push you up against the table, uh, push you up the table. Um, that sort of mini league at the very top has only expanded over the last 10 years, really, hasn't it? With uh, City and Spurs and you could, you could include Leicester in that now um, to a, it's a minimum of seven clubs now, isn't it? All fighting for those top four positions.
1: Um yeah, although well, there's a case for saying that Arsenal are no longer in that club. No, um,
0: true. Yes, yeah. You know, they. <laughs> I don't think it's a case. I think it's a fact, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, yes. I think your your Arsenal uh, Arsenal listeners have just switched off now. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I I talk to Arsenal fans and I go through the numbers with them, and 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 they accept that you know under the present regime they they have. Uh, they have become adrift. Yeah, it, it's a bit like watching what you know. If you think about sort of you are watching the Olympics and those ten thousand meter races, when there's a bunch of people at the front, and then one of them just starts to to drop off and drop off, and and I think that's that's what we've seen with Arsenal. Um, so whilst they've got the the infrastructure, and, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you've been to the Emirates as well. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. stadium. Um, you need more than that uh, to uh, to thrive. Uh, and, you know, and Arsenal is an international brand which hasn't... You know, I'm using words like brand, I'm a football fan, uh, but hasn't really internationalised itself.
0: No, no, absolutely not. I suppose, you know, this is a good place to, to start talking about the Premier League more holistically. Um, do all of English football's financial issues... Um, A sort of stem from the Premier League with that excessive wealth at the very top end, or is it uh, significantly more complicated than that? Um, I I think it all started with the
1: decision made uh, by clubs to keep 100% of match receipts by the home company, by the home club. Mm -hmm. Um, It used to be. Yeah, pretty football was pretty democratic when i was growing up but i'm you know, i'm i'm old enough to remember nottingham forest derby county aston villa everton blackburn um i remember ipswich finishing second and, and everybody liking ipswich you know because they they were seen as a a really progressive club but they did it on a you were for cup winners as
0: well weren't they a, exactly yeah and, and <laughs> you know,
1: they'd murren and tyson um and yes we we certainly had a dynasty uh, with with Liverpool for 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 a good many years, but people tended to feel that they still had a chance at the start of the season. Um, so I, I think the, that first decision to uh, concentrate the the gate receipts was was a first step, and and then the formation of the Premier League, because prior to the creation of the Premier League, the TV receipts were split. 50% to the top division, 25% to the second, and 12.5% and 12.5% to third and fourth. And, and what we now have is effectively around about 91% goes to the uh, the top division. or is, And then some of that is distributed to, to other clubs via parachutes and solidarity payments, but the, the, the dominance of the Premier League. And then, of course, within the Premier League, we have those clubs who are in receipt of Champions League monies, which realistically, we're talking a minimum of 30, 40 million pounds, and it can be up to over 100. And you've then got the benefit. Yeah, that's just the prize money. You've got the benefit of higher gate receipts, bonuses from sponsors and so on. So we've got a a fracture within the Premier League, as you've rightly identified. Uh, and then the remaining clubs, of which Brighton are one, and I think that yeah, I think it's fair to say we've probably got three tiers in the Premier League. You mm-hmm. probably put uh, Leicester, Leeds, Newcastle, Villa, Wolves, perhaps uh, in a uh, in a monetary area above the the, the final bunch, which is you know, Brighton, Burnley, Palace, and the whoever the three promoted clubs are.
0: And, and, then, yes. and then, of
1: course, you drop to uh, the championship and the the cliff faces uh, within football, mm-hmm. uh, which which encourage bad behaviour.
0: Yes, so that's one of the uh, one of the, the key points that I wanted to talk about was parachute payments um, and or solidarity payments, as as, uh, as as some people like to put them. Um, I mean, they are particularly high, and they they only seem to. Um, imbalance the playing field within a division um and i can kind of understand why they were they were introduced ideally correct me if i'm wrong uh, it was to to soften the financial blow from dropping from the premier league to the uh, the efl um but now they're so big i think it, is it something like 40 million for two seats uh, 40 million 20 million and then 10 10 million isn't it something like that anyway yeah um it's, I mean, particularly in that first season when, when a club has got a £40 million head start um, and when you take a look at a club like Reading, that's got to be um, a minimum of 200, 250% of uh, that you know, that club that individual club's income on its own. And it, you know, it, it just makes it increasingly difficult for um, clubs that aren't in receipt of those parachute payments uh, to to compete at the top end of the division, which is why you'll end up seeing Fulham going up and down, Norwich going up and down, West Bromwich Albion going up and down. I'm surprised Stoke haven't done it, given the amount that they they laid in the players that they had. But um, you know, the the, the the principle is almost being set uh, nowadays with that increased parachute payment money. Um, is that something that you you think should perhaps continue, or do you think if you're, should we say, uh, poor enough to be relegated? Uh, you need to be able to to have that plan to to reduce your costs accordingly.
1: The, this is yeah. an argument I have with a lot of people in football. I mean, I, I do come from a finance background. Um, um, unless it, we, we've got to go back here. why were parachute payments introduced in the first place? And as, as you, uh, you know, correctly identified, it, it was to it was to soften the blow. So when reading were in the the premier league in 2013 their wage bill was 46 million pounds now two years prior to that it was 18 so they they signed players on you know and and the fans want you to do this yeah the fans want you to invest money into into the playing squad um they they, they signed players on three four-year contracts were there relegation clauses in those contracts? Yes, there were in, in the vast majority of instances. Um, and uh, the, the research I've done uh, indicates that on average, a club that is relegated from the Premier League to the championship uh, has a 40% wage cut in its first year, uh, unless it goes straight back up. And, and if it goes straight back up, there tends to be huge bonuses which distort the wages. So mm. so that's that's where we are. So um you know when 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 reading were relegated their their wage bill fell by around about a quarter um you know so that's but it was still seven hundred thousand pounds a week going out in wages now you know given that they had been a you know it it was a 35 million pound wage bill for a club who in a non-parachute payment year are normally generating around about 17 million pounds a year Mm -hmm. So if you get rid of parachute payments, you run the risk of those clubs going into administration. So that's the purpose of parachute payments. Does that lead to a distortion in the championship? It is. It's an unintended consequence, but it certainly is a consequence. Um, Some of my fellow academics and uh, some people in the EFL as well say, well, why can't you have... 80% 80% or 90% pay cuts for for players when when clubs are relegated it's because they wouldn't come and sign for your club in the first place so if you're if you're trying to recruit a player um, yeah especially if you're trying to recruit them from uh, from the european market uh, and yeah let's say let's be honest they they know that you're Reading. so therefore you know, you you, are going to, you make them an offer and they are saying to themselves if I'm realistic, you know, it, I'm signing for Reading, I'm signing for Brighton, it's their first season in the Premier League, there's probably a 50-50 chance of them being relegated again. Um, yes, they've offered me 30, 35 grand a week, and that drops to 5 grand a week if the club's relegated. I'm Why, why uproot my family? Why go to a different culture uh, when when I might have a good season and, you know, I, I end up suffering? so I, I i and also um yeah you know fo- football player wages is is a very emotional subject with so many people and i've, I've never quite understood why because i i, I when i go you know I've, I've just got tickets to go and see the foo fighters next uh, next next summer play at wembley and i i'm not going to walk away and say oh, that that was a fantastic concert but it would have been so much better if if dave grohl earned less money whereas the number of people I hear who are football fans saying, I, I just can't watch the game anymore because the players are paid too much. So it's, it's a very emotive subject, but yeah, if you're a football player, let's uh, say you're 23 and you've just signed a contract for, you know, the, the average wage in, in the Premier League is now around about 2.7 million pounds uh, a year. So that's a lot of money, but, you, mm-hmm. but even so, you know, some, a lot of that goes in tax um, uh, uh, you know, and this is something which people forget uh if, if, you, if you've signed up to buy a house, you've got yourself a car, you've, you've got kids and so on, um, you, you've still got substantial outgoings. And if, if you've got a mortgage and, and the bank manager looks at your contract and says, well, you're signed for Reading and it says, here yeah, you're taking an 80 percent pay cut uh, if you get relegated. Uh, I'm not prepared to give you a mortgage. So, it, you know, it, it's that there, there are ramifications which I don't think are, are thought through. And the let's abolish parachute payments. They are the font of all evil uh mantra which is coming from people such as rick parry uh is 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 not one i'm sure do do i think they're too high yes i do do i think they should be for two years instead of three yeah i think you can probably acclimatize to the championship in two seasons so um so i, th- I think they could be reduced uh but i, th- I think the, the core problem and uh i, I was fortunate enough to interview um tracy crouch the who's uh, who's running the fan-led review and, and that's mm-hmm. that's actually that's coming out in uh, you know, i'm plugging here the price of football podcast that's coming out this week um away. you're welcome to that's good thank you thank you and you know the, the my argument is let's let, let's get rid of the need for parachutes and then we get rid of parachutes so yeah let's smooth smooth out the differences smooth out the falls from 100 million down to 7 million and then 7 million down to one and a half million because uh, you know, the EFL has parachute payments. It is parachute payments between the championship and League One and it's parachute payments between League Two and the National League. Um, mm-hmm. And the people who voted for those parachute payments are the league chairman who are so opposed to parachute payments in the Premier Leagues. And, and, and this is what I, uh, I, 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 I queried because ultimately I want 92 clubs to survive, and with the present gaps between the Premier League and the Championship, and the Championship and and League One, um, there is a significant chance of of clubs going into administration or worse uh, because the the distribution mechanism is isn't
0: appropriate. Do you think the um, that uh, reticence to, uh, to to back Premier League parachute payments is more to do with uh, the level of them, rather than the actual parachute payment in principle, on the basis that, as you as you just mentioned, um, there are clubs that are uh, pushing the boat out and almost bankrupting themselves. Um, they are, you know, they are you know, technically insolvent. You know, let's take let's take my own club, Reading. You know, if, if if we didn't have our owners, the football club would be insolvent. Um, do you think that that's more the issue? Um, because we're trying to compete with clubs that have parachute payments, or do you, do you think uh, there's sort of uh, more complicated things at play there? I
1: I, I, I think uh, parachute payments certainly do contribute towards wage inflation in the Championship, and also wage inflation in the uh, in League One as well. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, looking at Reading's uh, accounts for the last. Three years and yeah, if, if, if Reading fans <laughs> not pretty, not, not fit, pretty no wages to income 197% in 2018, 226% in 2019, and 211% in 2020. Uh, you know, that's that's just carnage. Um, mm. and you know, looking at a, uh, an, an average wage of yeah, around about eight to nine hundred thousand pounds per player for for championship football um, is is probably high now if, if you say well yeah we, we've got to keep up with the Joneses um it, it's it's I can understand that mentality but Sheffield United were promoted on a small budget Crystal Palace were promoted on a small budget Blackpool were promoted on a small budget you know Brighton we we were promoted on a on a high-ish but not spectacularly high budget it, it it can be done, and we've just seen Brentford go up. So sometimes you've just got to be smarter. And, and there are clubs with huge wage bills in uh, in the Championship who have who have made no progress. And I think you, you you rightly highlighted Stoke City. We've seen Sheffield United come down and start the season appallingly. Huddersfield are now you know that they've been in. Yeah, uh, you know, they spent yes, you know, is their third year of parachute payments in uh, in the championship, and, and they've not moved the dial. Swansea, Cardiff, so uh, you know for for every yo-yo club, and I think you, you have to perhaps investigate why uh, Fulham are backed by Shahid Khan. He's put four hundred million pounds into the club. That's that that's a big factor in why they 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 they, they rotate between those two divisions norwich in my view are an extremely well-run club that has no fat on it um they've got a good academy (laughs) not
0: according to talk sport (laughs) but that's another difference i I, saw Jamie
1: o'hara's comments and um yeah i was I, i was disappointed by those comments because it i think it shows a lack of financial common sense uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's on the on the basis of taking them at face value, and there's not any uh sort of deeper lying clickbait reason for it. I suppose.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, as, uh, and I know that has he just moved to Drive Time? I think yes,
0: uh, I believe yeah. so. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so yeah, you know, you know, uh, yeah. It was, yeah, it's it, it it doesn't surprise me because Drive Time is is clickbait central, and and Adrian Durham, who who I actually think is. Is, is a very good journalist was, is, is somebody i i could never quite understand why a bloke who is so intelligent just decides he wants to be you know piers morgan light when it comes to uh <laughs> but it, it gets a reaction yeah. I, I I yeah I, I, um and i and i do a lot of work with with talk sports and you know they're, they're all pretty nice guys
0: yeah yeah I've, I've no doubt i've no doubt it's a it does. Uh, I, I, I listened to uh, to a rant earlier from um, uh, HLTCO, um, and I think he he hits the talk sport issue nail on the head. I think, but it's worth a listen to. Um, it's it, it Sort of fourteen minutes of, um, of 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 eloquent rant. I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, but going back to Norwich, you were saying you know Norwich were uh, an extremely well run club, um, and yeah, I mean you say they they there's virtually no fat on them. You know, if they as a as a football club, I suppose you could you could look at them as um as you know in, in sort of tip top condition really couldn't you
1: yes and, and sometimes you you do that out of out of necessity um you know with Delia god bless her soul you know, she's she, she's an she is proper national treasure um but you know she she's not generating a lot of money at, at this stage of her career uh, there's there's no there's no sugar daddies at norwich so the club has to operate uh, within its means. But I think it's, uh, you know, it takes advantage of its uh, geographical position, Um, it's got a good relationship with the fan base. And therefore, you know, it, it sells out uh, practically every week. Um, But you know, when, when they were relegated in they were relegated in 2016. It, it, it did take them three years to get back to the Premier League, and they were were in the final year of their parachute payments. And yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the year they the year they went up, they they lost 40 million quid. So, uh, and then they had a year in the Premier League, and they made a profit of two, which makes you wonder: well, is it all worth it?
0: So, but if we move on from from sort of well-run clubs. And that's clearly the responsible thing to do: is to run your run your club um, responsibly, uh, financially prudent within your means. Albeit, you know, there are, as you mentioned, the um, the oddities with with the losses in the championship for Norwich City, for example, and then the the minuscule, in, by comparison, profit. There are a significant number of clubs who have faced, you know, even in in the last five years. Um, they have faced financial issues, ownership issues, uh, run into problems with um, the EFL and the regulations. And why, 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 doesn't, uh, fo- why don't football clubs and the governing bodies um, seem to just simply pull their heads together a- around a table and try and thrash out those issues that that constantly happen. It, it just seems to be, you know, was it Einstein that said the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result?
1: It was indeed. Um, the, the reason why we have insanity in football is because there are people who own you know, we we talk about football clubs football clubs do not make decisions club owners make decisions club owners set budgets club owners ultimately are responsible for the transfer policy and the wage policy not the clubs so i think, yeah. I think we have we have to look at those club owners um look at the culture that they create look at the nature of those individuals they there are many of whom are successful in other lines of business. And therefore, they come into a football club and say, I've been very successful at running a computer games manufacturing company. Therefore, I'm going to be successful running a football club, even though I know nothing about a football club and the fairly unique way in which they operate. Um, They then fall into the trap of getting to January And they're 6th, 7th, 8th in the championship. And they've got a manager. And and remember, the the average tenure of a manager in in the championship is 14 months. So the manager knows that from the day that they join, they're on on borrowed time. So the manager doesn't give a hoot about strategy. The manager doesn't give a hoot about development. The manager knows that if if the, if the club loses the next four games as, as we've seen with Forrest and Chris Hughton already this season he's under pressure you know people will be calling him to lose his job mm-hmm. so the managers knocking on the chief executive's and says yeah, we're 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 seventh or eighth uh you yeah, know well, I I've, I've seen I've seen this lad he will he'll cost us yeah he'll cost us 12 million. But I think he can deliver the goals. You, you, you look at Borra signing, was it a Sombalonga from was it Forest for fifteen mm-hmm. million. And I think is he is he now being released on a free, uh, or you know he's he's in the last year of his contract and he's not getting many games. And he's he's a mm-hmm. he's a solid Championship striker, but fifteen million quid for Championship strikers. Yeah, but but what why did that happen? It was because the manager's whispering in the chief executive's ear, and the chief executive goes to the owner. And they say, well, yeah, okay, yeah, it, it, yeah if, if he gets us the goals and we get to the Premier League, we're 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 hosting. You know, and let's face it; they, they they don't go. They're not going to the Premier League to go and play Burnley and Crystal Palace, are they? They're going to the Premier League because they want next season to be able to say to their friends, "Oh, by the way, we're playing Liverpool this weekend at the Riverside or at Pride Park or at the Madstad wherever it's going to be." Um, do you fancy coming along? And, yeah, you know, it's 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 an ego. It's a vanity issue. Um, but you don't sign a player for that six months or for that 12 months. You sign a player on a three- or a four-year contract. And if you don't go up, you, you might have been able to, you know, you, you've committed yourself now to paying him, you know, 22 grand a week when most of the squad are on sixteen or seventeen. So yeah, you sent know, you, a half and your captain he's he's cheesed off. So he goes knocking at the manager's door or the chief executive's door. So you go, know, you, you signed sign this clown, he's on more money than me. Uh you, you you get you get wage inflation and it 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 gets it gets ramped up and and that's that's what we see. So um if Uh, if if there was some form of real time monitoring of spending uh, perhaps as we have in La Liga uh, then then the culture of spending um, there is no there is no desire in in the championship to have a wage cap because yeah for how many years have they they, all, all it takes is votes all it takes is 16 votes from uh, from championship owners and then potentially yeah provide it it's, it's got to be thrashed out with the PFA as well as we know because they have a, a, a joint uh, a joint negotiation committee with uh, with the EFL and with the Premier League but yeah you know, that 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 can be done yeah you know, the PFA is not going to necessarily shoot itself in the foot with like like that but club owners don't vote for it they you know we 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 have the championship that we deserve to a large extent and uh you know, that they've just gone and appointed as um one of their representatives on the board of the EFL, Peter Ridsdale. Now mm-hmm. you you talk to Leeds United fans about Peter Ridsdale and what mm-hmm. he did there. Um and if you go into uh, if 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 you go into the Department for Trade for Industry, Peter Ritsdale's uh, is he's he's just been appointed to the board of the EFL on the back of a seven and a half year ban from being a director of director. any company
0: yeah. in the UK. And, and that was on the basis of his that, that was on the basis of his time at Leeds, wasn't it?
1: No, that was actually to do with was Cardiff. It? Yeah, that was to do with a uh, right, yes. a consultancy company um, which went bust and money which was due to the consultancy company, I think it might, it might have been from Cardiff, I may might, I might be wrong, um, uh, it, it accidentally found itself into Mr. Ridsdale's personal bank account and he, and he forgot to tell this to the liquidator. So, so yeah, that, that's the culture. <laughs> that's the culture of the people that we have in, in the top tier of English football. And we've got Jed uh, Jes Moxie, who's I think he's at Burton Albion. Jed is mm-hmm. a nice guy, I'm not denying that. He also, if, if you, you go and you go and check up on him and, and come to his house, and, and that's all that I do. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. People say, you know, you, you know, where do you get all this knowledge and stuff from? I do I'm, I'm just nosy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all it's all there in the public domain. Mm Um, Jeff Moxie runs a football consultancy involved in mergers and acquisitions of football clubs. So you've got somebody who's on the board of the EFL who's got access to information about clubs in the EFL. Potentially he's going to know which clubs are struggling. Now, if I'm if I'm advising clients as to which clubs to buy and which clubs to not buy, but can you see that, that there's a potential conflict of interest here?
0: Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that he would do that.
1: Yeah. I'm not saying that at all. In case he's. But
0: listen. that's just it. I mean, I, I'm a civil servant, uh, full-time civil servant, and one of the things that we um, deliberately um, segregate duties uh, yeah. for, and, and actually have to register our conflicts of interest. Um, yeah. It's just. Yeah. It's just the done thing. It's. It, it's right. You know. You should. Any organisation um, within within their within their governance structure, their governance policy should have something similar. In my opinion, it just it just strikes me as you know fundamental common sense. Yeah, because otherwise you know, you
1: could end up with something crazy like you know the health minister uh, you know, having having friends of his. Getting PPE contracts following COVID, and here yeah, we, we—oh, that, that. That, that would never happen. Surely that would never happen.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So, I mean, do you think you mentioned earlier that—and rightly so—and it was—I hesitate to call it a throwaway comment, but it was—it was just thrown into the into the ether about fans expecting investment. Um, now, fans also, um, seemingly more and more, uh, have. Um, an expectation and a want or a need for almost instant gratification. Hmm. Um, And that means, you know, literally uh, they expect their team to win, you know, irrespective of the fact that there's two teams on the pitch at any, in any given game, um, woe betide your team if they lose, woe betide your team if they lose four in a row. Um, And that pressure that that creates, particularly in the social media uh, times that we're in, uh, that can only grow on club owners. That can only grow on players and managers. Hence, you know, do, I suppose what I'm trying to trying to ask is, do fans have a better part to play in um, the, the health of their club in terms of their expectations? Uh,
1: yeah, yes, I do. I I, I am no fan of the glazer family at Manchester United but but I noticed today on Twitter that glazers out was trending and I thought oh, okay well yeah I I I'll I'll give United stick where I think they warrant stick but I mean last week I gave I gave them praise because they they've now committed to pay the real living wage in Manchester which I think is a right and proper thing to do hmm. um, and, and and so I said okay well wh- why are fans criticizing the uh, uh, the owners and you know, this, um, perhaps perhaps this, if I missed something and it says, oh, we, we've only spent one hundred and fourteen million pounds this summer. Okay, well hold <laughs> on. We, we, when I last checked, we, we are we are still on the arse end of the, the the biggest global economic shock to have hit the planet since the end of the Second World War. So, you know, we, we, we've it's, it's the nearest thing to, you know, it's the you know, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, we, you know, we, we, we've got one of them ravaging the world at present. And we've got we've got grown men saying that the owners should be evicted from the club. What, what are you going to replace them with? I don't know, because that would involve thought process and strategy. Um, hey, Manchester United spend an awful lot of money on players. They they might not spend it very well, and and, you know I'm 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 quite delighted. I'm I'm uh uh, yeah I've lived most of my life in Manchester, and I whilst I had to see I've got a season ticket at the Amex, and and I've actually recently moved down to to Brighton, and I commute to work in Liverpool purely for football reasons, pure purely because I want to be able to go and have a chat with my mates after a match on a Saturday afternoon, Mm -hmm. which is and and you understand that as a football fan. Mm-hmm. I, I, I talk to a non-football fan, and, and they think I've grown a second head. But you know, you know, we, we know the importance of football <laughs> to us. Um, yeah, I, I've always had a soft spot for City, mainly because yeah, they they, they have been sort of the, the 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 idiot cousin of Manchester United for during during Sir Alex's reign. Yeah, they they were a, a Keystone Cops club, and I, and I'm absolutely delighted that they've they've been successful. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, th- this. This, this mentality is that the solution to problems is spending somebody else's money. And, and this, is, this is, again, where I've, I've got a slight feeling of unease with the EFL. You know, their, their solution to uh, problems in the EFL is, let's go and spend some of the Premier League's money. Now, at present, the, the biggest contributor to clubs, the biggest single contributor to, to clubs in the EFL is in fact the Premier League because clubs mm-hmm. earn twice as much uh, from the Premier League TV deal. So, so Reading will get, get around about seven to seven and a half million pounds a year in TV each season of which four and a half comes from the Premier League and two and a half comes from the EFL itself. Um, so, so you know, the, the EFL say, well, you know, if, if you give us some more of our money, then, then we're problem. So no, this this is what happened. The Premier League gives the clubs in the championship some more money. They will go and, uh, to, to use the words of our illustrious prime minister, they will go and spaff it on the wall, spaff it up the wall on new players and new wages. Yeah, that that that's a given, unless it's dealt with in in a more mature manner. But mm-hmm. fans, I I, I despair. Yeah, you know, I you know my, my my club Brighton. We've just sold Ben White for fifty million pounds, which is a uh, it, it's. Uh, it's a good deal for Brighton it's a good deal for Ben White I think it'll actually be a good deal for Arsenal in due course uh, probably when they sell him in a couple of years to 70 um if he's if he's as good as we think he is but um, the instant response is well why haven't the club gone and spent that money well yeah because in 2020, we lost almost 70 million pounds and we're likely to lose that again in 2021. So we've lost 140, 150. We've recouped 50. That's why there's, that's why they're not going out and spending 40 million pounds on a new center forward. Uh, And you, and you try to have that conversation with them. And it's, it's as if I'm talking another language.
0: Yeah. Um, This was one of the issues that, again, I'm I'm alluding to my own support. Um, We were, we read in um, in the aftermath of the, of our Premier League relegation in 2008. Um, clearly, it wasn't quite to the same extent as it is now. But but the, the essentially we were running a black hole of six or seven million pounds a year, and we had to sell one of our players. We were lucky enough to have players that would plug that black hole, um, and in the form of uh, Stephen Hunt, Kevin Doyle, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Shane Long, uh, to name it four, um, and yet you know you still have players. Even though the club explicitly came out one point and and stated where the money had gone, what from of the players that we um, that we sold, it's still turning around. And you know it came to the point where I think a home game against Sheffield United, we were losing um, three-one, and fans just started chanting, "Spend some effing money." It's like, well, <laughs> the club have already come out and explained to you. They haven't got any effing money. So mm-hmm. even though we've sold these assets, you know, we've we're still, you know, trying to cut our cloth accordingly, which which was, you know, one of John Madeski's mantras, you know, to, to be you know, we, we needed to to run a sustainable um a sustainable club effectively, because the John Bodewski had lost three quarters of his wealth, um, reported wealth, shall I say, uh, during the, the financial crash. Um yeah. so yeah it's just you, you you can argue with with some fans until they're blue in the face uh, or until you're blue in the face should i say and you the, the message just won't seem to embed itself in in people's heads will it
1: no i, I had a conversation with a with a fan from a club uh, broadly along those lines because um yeah i appreciate many the listeners won't know me i'm i'm fairly prolific in terms of social media. And I, I do have the financial history of practically every football, well, every yeah, every football club I'd say uh, in the UK, mostly you know, certainly the, the the top divisions in in England, um, many non-league clubs as well, it's clubs in Scotland. And I was having trying to have this, I tried to be I always try to be polite, don't lose your rag. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher, you know, i have I've got to be patient. That's that's the nature of the work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this guy just turned around and says, oh, yeah, but you, you can prove anything with facts. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I, I, that's why I've got no time for you with you people with your facts. I go, well, if, if you're not going to use facts, what are you going to use? And this this is not a political comment, um, but decisions are being made in a variety of aspects of our lives, which are being determined by emotion rather than fact. Mm-hmm. And Emotional-based decisions tend to be ones which are either very short-term or uh, ineffective ones. When when fans talk about we want fresh investment, what they're actually saying that's a coded message for we want a sugar daddy. We want a, we want an Abramovich or a Mansour or a, uh, uh, yeah the guy that we, we've far had Mishiri. We've got an Everton who's you know he stuck four hundred million pounds in in four years. Um, and he's thinking, fans are still moaning. You know, what, what exactly am I supposed to do? I because 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 funnily enough, you know, he's a, he's an accountant. He's a he's a financier. He 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 wouldn't know a good footballer from a bad one. So therefore, he appoints people who he thinks can do the job. And uh, football is littered with uh, people who have put the, their faith in in others who they believed had some knowledge of the industry who. Have, have cheerfully spent that money and more on uh, a series of uh, uh, best described as uh, un- unproven successes uh, in terms yeah. of the
0: recruitment. Sometimes when fans get what they want in terms of that sugar daddy, and again, I'm going to use Redden as an example, So John Madaski ran yeah. the club prudently. And of course, you know, again, you'll have, well, you're obviously acutely aware of um, Al Jazeera, the Al Jazeera investigations. We we fall into the indeed, trap yes. of, <laughs> of Anton Zingarevich and yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Boris Zingarevich, Chris Samuelson. Reddit fans mm. got what they wanted, in inverted commas, um, and turned out that actually didn't have any money. Um, yeah, so I suppose... Uh, sometimes it's be careful what you wish for isn't it uh
1: yes and, and again just for, for those people that aren't familiar with uh this uh there has been a recent documentary from al jazeera i think it's, it's called the men who sell football clubs or the men who buy football clubs
0: the men the men who sell football yeah the men who sell football that's
1: right yes i can't, can't remember the exact title uh
0: mainly uh, centered around a chap called chris samuelson um and a couple of his henchmen um who, yeah, will be familiar to Villa fans, to Reading fans. Mm. Uh, obviously, Derby and Mel Morris are heavily implicated in it, although nothing seems to have actually come a, come of that meeting, uh, that meeting of mine, shall we say? Um, and plenty of other clubs, or Everton, were were potentially, uh, uh, well, in yeah. the same position as um, as, as Derby uh, fifteen or so, sixteen years ago. Yeah. But yes. Carry on. Sorry.
1: So, so, so that was that's a documentary, um, and. I think it's fair to say, Mr. Sham, Mr. Samuelson doesn't come out of this particularly well. Um, and the, the documentary that has gone out is clearly the, the version which has been filtered through the lawyers. So I, I've seen everything because I, I was I've been, I was interviewed and, and you know I've seen a lot more of the the the, uh, uh, the material that was uh, filmed and. Uh, yeah, people don't come out of it necessarily very well, um, and I think if some of the some of the content which uh, which has not been able to be broadcast for legal reasons, and I'm, I'm perfectly understand why yeah, we we've got strict libel laws and defamation laws in this country, um, I, I think people's eyebrows, if they're not already raised a lot, would be raised even higher.
0: Interesting. I wasn't aware of that, and I'm not sure John Keane was aware of that as well. Obviously, I mentioned to you John Keane mm. also appeared on the programme to talk about it. Uh, yes, because yeah. it all it all occurred during his time as va- uh, vice chair of Star uh, Supporters Trust at Reading. His um, uh, interest was peaked, shall we say, as soon as it was mentioned that uh, the investment uh, vehicle Temp Sports Investment. Was to be registered in Gibraltar, um, and the first question that entered his mind was, "Why does it need to be registered in Gibraltar? Uh, mm. so what's going on?" And he, yeah, and you see, you see a number of um, football clubs around um, around well, around the world, predominantly, mm. but certainly where UK tax laws involved. Um, yeah, they they're not always registered in this country, and again, it's it's, it's either to, to hide money. Uh, seemingly, or uh, for uh, tax purposes, or any number of reasons. Um, yeah, it's not 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 ideal, is it?
1: No, no. The uh, the British Virgin Islands is, is not noted for its ability in terms of keepy-uppies. I think that's the politest, way, the politest thing I can <laughs> say. Yeah.
0: Very topical. Um, in terms of the actual health of the game now, then, um, clearly we've got this disparity at the very top end of the game um but we have principles we've always spoken about the, the the parachute payment principle and that runs all the way through the divisions but when it comes to the, sort of the health of the game in terms of governance and finance um how far away are we from a from a healthy game if we're not already healthy now
1: um i, I think it's a resilient game and the, the reason why it is resilient is because of the unique relationship between fans and the clubs that they grew up with as a child and still support as an adult and will continue to support, provided the club's still there till the day that they, they die. And that means that in times of crisis, in in times of distress, um, they're... There will be normally somebody who knows something about law, somebody who knows something about finance, and they will come together uh, uh, you know, as, as of, if, if they can. You know, unless you unless they've got a Steve Dale as we had it, at, um, a at Barry, yeah. at Barry, or you know, the the owners at... Uh, at Macclesfield town although you know in, in my view Macclesfield Macclesfield town were a very poorly run club but uh the way that they were treated by the EFL with you know that yeah reading weren't paying their wages on time last season but reading weren't kicked out of the EFL and, and no um, and, and then very quietly put to sleep without a you know the, the fuss made over Macclesfield town was was minuscule compared to what happened at Barry um so uh, f- fans are great you know uh what we've seen at swindon town and i've you know the the, the swindon town new chief executive was well, he's, he, he's a fan you know i've got to know him rob angus quite well um but his it was just a case of trying to rally the troops trying to be organized trying to use the appropriate channels and also i think you got to give the efl some credit in, in terms of the way that they've helped there uh, what we've just seen happen at rochdale I, I think is a salutary tale as well where there was
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know two two blokes with with no geographical or emotional involvement with rochdale all of a sudden ended up owning 42% of the club and wanted to to take it over for reasons which were never properly explained
0: um, that was a uh... just wanted to to touch on that actually because that's one of the one of the clubs that i haven't covered and one of one uh, you know i wasn't aware of that had any issues until recently um so that's essentially a hostile uh take or an attempted hostile takeover um now Rochdale is a fan-owned club isn't it and they these two guys have essentially bought uh ended up buying 46 percent of the shares or 40 plus percent of the shares anyway forget the exact figure that you mentioned um, by, you know, buying them from individual shareholders um, and uh, essentially by process of accumulation. Yep. Um, and, I mean, clearly what the, their fans and their supporters trust want to remain um, a fan-owned club. Um, but I suppose, does that not s- say anything, given that these, these shares were bought by... Um, by individuals, uh, from individuals. Does that not say something about more of the, the sort of the uh, the cooperative, um, sort of, I want to call it a cooperative society uh, at Rochdale and and their, their perhaps their, their governance structures, internal governance stru- structures? Or, I mean, I, I, in, a, in a short way, I suppose, I'm saying, well, what, what's actually happened and what is essentially the problem other than the fact that these two guys um, don't have any geographical links to to well the greater Manchester region at all.
1: Um, I, I think we need to be careful about referring to Rochdale as a fan-owned club. Rochdale was a privately owned club, which had a very diverse set of shareholders. So you know you had people that might own fifty or hundred shares in the in Rochdale Association Football Club Limited, and you some might have you know thousands or tens of thousands. Um, so it was a it, it was a very fractured ownership structure, and the the, the people involved on the bidding side um, were starting to, as you said, starting to accumulate uh, an increased stake. And there there were a few kingmakers. You know, as 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 people began to realise that something was happening because people were getting phone calls saying, oh, "I understand you own uh, two hundred shares in Rochdale. I'll give you two pounds a share." And people say, "Well, yeah, yeah." It's, you know, it's, it's, it's 400 quid. Um, all I've got is a share certificate, which is in my toilet wall. I'll keep the share certificate on the toilet wall and you can have the shares. And, and this was a, a, a process of stealth. Um, and then, you know, you know, it quite it became clear that th- there was an attempt to acquire the club and, and conversations were held at both board level and with the, with the trust and uh, it, it, trying to work out the motives of the people behind it. And, and i i I know one of the people involved on the buy side um reasonably well, and I was trying to get an answer uh, and he says, well, yeah, was that they they just they just like the idea of owning a football club. and the trouble is if if you're dealing with one hundred and twenty years of history, somebody who, quite like the idea of owning a football club it can be alarming because mm-hmm. they might decide after two or three years that mm, you know I, I don't quite like the idea of running a football club and it's losing money and I'm therefore not prepared to you know to to fund the losses or to to cover the wages this month because I've got better things to do with my time and money as as we saw uh, with the 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 best described as mysterious activities at Wigan in uh, in the summer of 2020
0: yes, of course. I mean, it's something about at the moment uh, seemingly greater Manchester clubs because uh, you had it at Rochdale, uh, you've had it at Oldham, or ongoing at Oldham. Mm-hmm. Oh, Old, yeah, um, ongoing Stop- issues at Oldham. S- yes. Stockport County in in the recent past as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I uh, you know, say so Wigan Athletic, Bolton. Yeah, um, Man- very. Yep. It's just, it's just. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of scouts listening to this thinking, "When's it going to be Man United's time?" Um, but uh, <laughs> well, but
1: they've they've got the Glazers.
0: Yeah, the, you know, exactly. the, the, the Glazers, who
1: um, were behind Project Big Picture, which involved transferring the control of English football into the hands of six clubs, mm-hmm. if, you, if you look at the changes in governance there, and when they didn't get their way domestically, were also working simultaneously with uh, the Super League project, the, the franchise project, which would create a, a closed franchise, which would involve transferring power control and wealth into the hands of a dozen clubs in effect uh within europe you know a, a, a european super league which involved you know, 12 clubs from uh six countries and seven cities or, or you know was, was it was it four countries four countries and, and six or seven cities yeah absolutely yeah amazing. something like
0: that yeah what did, what did you make of um <laughs> florentino paris is uh well let's say what they're continual, aren't they? The, the arguments that he's made. What did you make of his comments about uh, about it being good for football, the super, the super league being good for football because um, those big clubs could drip feed the money um, through transfer fees into um, uh, down into the European pyramid? Um,
1: well, th- this I think it's, it's fascinating because this this is effectively saying that uh, what's referred to as trickle down economics is successful uh, by by giving by giving billionaires more money, we all become better off um to which my response is in which case let's take a look at warren buffett one of the you know the 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 so-called sage of omaha mm-hmm. um one of the richest men in the world um presumably if uh, he's the hedge fund
0: if, if, king isn't he
1: he is yeah and, and you know, yeah very successful presumably uh you would expect to see people in you know and, and the great you know, I, I, first of all i love america um, but, but america is also as a fan, you know from a from a research point of view is a fantastic petri dish of uh you know because you've got these individual states so if uh, if trickle down economics would works as well as its its supporters claim you would expect you know average wealth within uh, the state in which warren buffett lives to be to be higher than that of other states and the opposite is true so you know um Perez's Florentino Perez's uh, assertions bore no merit, but you know he 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 is a powerful figure in Spanish life, and you know the Spanish me- media acquiesced because they 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 they're trying to keep in with Real Madrid. Um, what would have happened would be that Real Madrid fear. Um, but you know, Real Madrid's won the Champions League. Is it four times in the last decade? Uh, mm-hmm. But they, but they fear PSG, Manchester City, Chelsea. Uh, you know, also winning the, the the Champions League. So, you know, he 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 keeps railing against the likes of City and PSG, who who between them have never won the Champions League. Real Madrid and won it 13 times and, and is trying to make out Real Madrid to be some form of victim. And, and we're saying this on on the day that they've just bid 138 million pounds to Kylian Mbappe following yes. the uh, spectacularly successful recruitment of uh, Eden Hazard two years ago for over a hundred million mm-hmm. pounds as well.
0: Yes, of course. And <laughs> Mbappe only having one year on his contract. Why not just wait a bloody year? Um, but there we go. Um it's an interesting case, isn't it? The Spanish league, La Liga, with their with their rights deal, because uh, I mean, unlike the Premier League, the which is um, equal rights for all twenty teams or equal financial rights for all twenty teams, um, the, the La Liga teams are able to to effectively uh, negotiate their own rights, aren't they? Hence, the reason why Real Madrid and Barcelona have a ridiculously disproportionate share of the, the rights income to all of the other teams in La Liga. Um, hence why La Liga is so skewed and why I even find the case of Atletico Madrid ridiculously admirable because they've managed to um, to, to, to hold sway with um, uh, both Real and Barca. Uh, I don't know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the... There's... the the Spanish TV broadcast regulations were changed in 2016 um, to reduce the dominance of those two clubs, but they are still very much skewed towards them. And remember, they've got the benefit of huge stadia, global fan bases, spectacular commercial deals on the back of European success as well. Um, The the, the sale of 10% of La Liga... To a private equity house uh, for 2.7 billion euro on the face of it looks like a good deal, um, until you realise that actually you're committing to give giving the uh, the private equity house 10 uh, percent of your revenue for the next 50 years and just yeah you just 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 do the maths on that and uh, mm-hmm. yeah pri- private equity houses I've got no interest in football it is another product um, and and the reason why they are successful is because they have no emotional investment in any of the businesses that they buy. Um, they are ruthlessly efficient. And, and if you're ruthlessly efficient, you can make an awful lot of money. Um, the trouble is, football is the most emotional business that you or I come into contact with in our lives. And you know, when we do that, you know, as we, we've had that discussion already in terms of what do you want your club to do? Spend more money. What well, on players? Which players? Well, it doesn't matter. Just players. Just, you know, just players. Because, yeah. Because, because that that validates that validates my self worth. Uh, because people now uh, reflect their self worth in in events that you know. If, if my football club can spend seventy or eighty million pounds, although it's it's not my football club. Yeah, you know, I spend you know five hundred pounds a year on a season ticket. That that that's the extent of my relationship. Um, but it but it's uh, we. We, we, we reflect ourselves through our football clubs to far too great a degree they are you know they are run by boards of directors with whom we are unlikely to have any contact in our lives um by people often from countries where we, which we've never visited let alone uh, had any you know formal contact with uh, from a from a governance or ownership structure perspective
0: do you think there's uh Merit, then. I mean, talking talking about that um, in adopting something like the the German fifty plus one rule. Uh, if if we could
1: turn back the clock, yes. But but what we would have to do, you know, if 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 Roman Abramovich has stuck, yeah, a billion pounds, or he's stuck about one point four billion into Chelsea, then if he's going to have to give up 50.1% 50, 50. of Chelsea, then then he needs compensation. As do all the other mm-hmm. owners. So exactly where is that, is that money going to come from? And I think that's the uh, that, that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yes, if, if we were starting again from many years ago, then then fine. But we are in twenty twenty one, and uh, I, I think it's uh, once again, you know, simplistic populist solution which has got uh, zero depth uh, in it in, in terms of uh, the the research that's gone into it.
0: When it comes to the owners, then, um, it's the biggest issue. It's a recurring theme so far. is the biggest issue, really, that we have um, with new owners taking over clubs is that they simply don't understand football. They simply don't... Um, uh, or they, they 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 want it as a bit of an ego boost um they want to own a football club um and uh, sort of propel uh, their own name sort of higher up um i suppose yeah what uh, 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 do these do these people then end up um into the in that sort of spiral of uh, suddenly, not realizing, uh, originally not realizing the pressure that they might be under and the decisions that they might need to take, um, and feeling the pressure from from a variety of different groups to to succeed. Is that is that the main reason why we're we're seeing so many clubs with ownership and financial issues in the, in this country?
1: Um, I, I think it's certainly a contributory factor that we have. Um, a culture of football clubs being bought as trophy assets. Now, you, you only need two or three of those in each division for that to create significant distortion to the rest of the division. So, you know, in, in the in the Premier League, we, we've seen the, the ownership changes at Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, has that created an arms race uh, in terms of wages and transfer fees? That, that could be argued, but... but but the, the supporters of Abramovich and Sheikh Mansour will say, "Well, you know, first of all, uh, you know, those clubs have delivered trophies. They've brought lots of happiness to supporter bases, which is fine." You now, I was uh, I was absolutely delighted when when Chelsea won the Premier League, you know, because I'd, I'd, I'd got bored of it being you know, Manchester United four years out of five and, and Arsenal you know, the, the other year. It, it was a duopoly. So it, it did increase competition, as did the acquisition of uh, Manchester City by Sheikh Mansour. And, uh, you know, I, I would say from a from a neutral perspective, Sergio Aguero's goal against QPR, which won the Premier League that year, was one of the most iconic football moments of, of my lifetime, <laughs> which, not involving my own club. Um, so... Uh, you know, it was uh, it, it, it was spectacular. Uh, Manchester City is a working class club historically, and you know, I've got i I've got lots of friends who support City who who are absolutely delighted with what's happened. But but they've now fallen into the trap of yeah, you know, if we're not spending 100 million pounds each summer, you know, why not? And go well, hold on, you know, I I can remember 12 15 years ago when you were. Yeah, you were signing Sean Goater and thinking that was a good
0: sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they weren't the only ones that signed Sean Goater and thought it was a good sign, and we did as well. And he lasted one season. Um, so having said having said that, he finished top scorer, fourteen oh, goals and sh- twenty eight sh- in two thousand and
1: three four. I won't have any <laughs> criticism of Sean Goater. Yeah, you know, he he's, he 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 did a solid job, um, but yeah, you know, I think he perhaps wasn't as glamorous as. Uh, you know aguero de bruyne uh, you know, <laughs> not quite stuff. no uh, and you know city are an intriguing football club because that they, they are for me and I'm, a, I'm a bit of a nerd here that they are the closest thing that i've ever seen to the borg in star trek in that they are a they are a creature without a head as it were on the pitch you know normally you've got you've got you've got a figurehead at, at every club but with city is is uh, it's it's a whole working
0: mechanism it's You're talking on. about that—that uh, that sort of that driving force, that driving force from either from centre back or yeah. or central midfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting. Actually, that's a that's a really good analogy. Actually, um, yeah. been a little bit of a trekkie myself, that's yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm chuckling at that. Actually, uh, resistance is futile. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, is there anything that really needs to change, or that that, re- that, that can realistically change? Uh, with the financial model that football have, um, or do clubs just need to be more responsible with their with their money?
1: Well, yeah, they, they can always just go and turn around and say no to to wage demands. now yeah, because I, I, I don't know about you, but yeah, when I go and see my boss, they say, oh, yeah, look, look uh, "Students seem to like me. I've, I'm 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 peering on Panorama. I'm doing this documentary with this. I'm writing for the Times I'm doing all this." And he said, "Yeah, very good, Kieran." Pats me on the head and says, "Sod off." Not giving me a pay rise. <laughs> you're, you're you're on grade nine. You stick on grade nine. I go, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, so um, I, I think the the balance of power between uh, various stakeholder groups is is a bit wonky. Um, I, I think perhaps yeah. I think perhaps power has has dipped too far in favour of players, but yeah. You know, that's that, we are where we are, and you know, should I be criticizing millionaires? Yeah, you know, are, are, are they ripping off billionaires? You know, should, should I feel sorry for, for the billionaire owners of football clubs? Probably not. Um, I, I think I think there are things that's that- an
0: interesting slant. Sorry, I, I just got to interrupt there, and interject. Um, that that's never that's not a, a way that I've ever looked at it, but it's such a simple twist on, um. On, on the on the situation, isn't it? You know, yeah. a, a a simple case of a footballer um, having that little bit of sway over somebody who is significantly richer than him. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, that's yeah. one that I think I might be taking forward myself. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I, I think we could make football clubs less attractive to tire kickers, chancers, manipulators. Yeah, you know, we, we saw what happened at Charlton and and. Uh, and Wigan though I'm not quite sure what the EFL what anybody could have done in in respect to Wigan. Um, that, that one is has never really been properly answered, but uh, it you know to it, it could be organized in such a way that if somebody buys a football club, then they have to sign some significant personal guarantees or they have to put down deposit. you know, if we think about you know, if, if I book a flight or if I book a holiday, I'm I'm covered under APTA and ATOL in mm-hmm. terms of yeah what happens if the travel agency goes bust what happens if the the if airline goes bust yeah they'll get me home well you know should should when you buy a football club should you put some money into an escrow account um, which will cover the wages for the twelve months following uh, your departure in the worst-case scenario, and you get that money back if the club is successfully sold and the, you know, the Premier League or the and or the EFL, depending on which division the club is in, has uh, is satisfied that the club's been run in an appropriate manner. Um, and, and this will stop the likes of Steve Dale coming in and buying, you know, Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Southall at Charlton buying the club for a quid.
0: Yes, yeah, uh, that's interesting. I'm not sure whether it was um, Heather McKinley or... Um... Uh, Christine Seddon, Charlton and uh, uh, Blackpool, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Supports trust. There, uh, I've had them both on for, for episodes prior to this, um, but uh, one of them did mention um, about you know perhaps if it's a Premier League club, then if you want to buy a Premier League club, then you need to put twenty million pound into a ring fence pot yeah. that will secure you know essentially you know essentially exactly what you what you say. Uh, what you've described, um, which seems to me to be quite an eminently sensible idea, and it doesn't seem to be um, too much of a hassle for um, people to you know if you if, essentially, if you're rich enough to own a football club now, yeah. there's no reason why you couldn't put a certain amount based on your divisional status um, into into a pot. Uh, uh, for the for the essentially to act as a sort of a guarantor for all clubs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that pot could be used to yeah, in, in times of you know significant emergency. Like, for example, you know, instead of having clubs that need to go to the PFA for their wages to be um, to be paid, um, they could, you know, it's, before it gets to that, they need to, they should be looking at, you know, something like that. Um, of course, the other um, obvious asset or facet of the um, of the governance structure is the owners and directors test. Now, the Premier League have significant resources and funds to be able to um, uh, to investigate. Don't mm. they? Whereas uh, the and, EFL and, and they do—it's a t- it's tick box exercise. Yes, it's a tick box exercise. I distinctly recall again going into into the Reading takeover from Sir John Mcdeski to TSI. Um, the owners, and, uh, sorry, the, the EFL owners and directors test—they were all ready to to give it mm. know, to give it the uh, uh, the go ahead. Um, but we were promoted to the Premier League, and the Premier League uh, wanted uh, significantly more guarantees than than what. Uh, were potentially being given. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the specific details of how they managed to get it through, but as it transpired, um, the funds weren't there, essentially because Anton Zingarevich wasn't a rich man. It was his yeah. dead. And that's, uh, again, that's something that that was that transpired as a result of, or um, uh, well, that was put into the Al Jazeera uh, Investigates Programme. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's obviously common knowledge. Um it just strikes, again, it strikes me as though that that should be something that all clubs should be, there should be a, a, a ring fence pot, at perhaps at FA level, um, for for clubs to pay into, um, a, a seasonal levy almost, um, and for those investigations to be undertaken at all levels across all four divisions, or even, even going into the National League. Um, I'd, I'd, and I don't know why, I, 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 for the layman like me, I don't understand why that's not the
1: case. Well, the reason why that's not the case is that if if I was a EFL club owner and I wanted to get rid of the club, I'd want as few barriers to the sale of the club to exist as possible. Now, who votes on the rules for that govern the purchase and sale of mm-hmm. clubs? It's EFL so club owners. So it's yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's a yeah. se- and there's self, there's self-interest involved. There's nothing wrong with self-interest. You know, we we, we all are guilty. Well, no, we, we we are subject to self-interest in in our personal and professional lives. Um, yes, Absolutely, we are. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and and that's why sometimes you need uh, some form of independent governance uh, involved. Although, you know, you, you said to yourself, you're a civil servant. Yeah, uh, you know, re- regulators are, are not are not curals. Yeah, you know, i I I live these days closer to the south coast and you know, we, we've got a we've got a regulator of water but it doesn't stop southern water from dumping you know, hundreds of millions of liters of uh, filthy water into uh into the sea and into rivers on a regular basis so you know, i think people have to be a little bit careful you know they, they think that uh off foot or offside or whatever we're going to call the regulator of football <laughs> will yeah. will prevent another steve dale or our young or uh you know the debacle at Charlton, it, 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 it won't. It, it might make it a bit more difficult, and that's got to be welcomed, but just be careful.
0: So, I mean, when it comes to the FanDead review, we touched on it a couple of times. Um, so we've had the initial report, haven't we, from Tracy Crouch yep. uh, to the the relevant minister whose name escapes me. Oliver um, yep. Thank you very much. Um, what, again, talking realist, realistically now and not not sort of pipe dreams what what really needs to change and what will change
1: um well uh tracy crouch is confident that the majority of her recommendations a have cross-party support and b have support from uh, the the governing bodies within football, although the EFL have come out very vehemently against any form of independent regulation, they, they'd rather it was run by people such as uh, Peter Ridsdale. Peter Ridsdale. Um, <laughs> okay, and go Gar- Gar- ask yourself why. Um, so uh, yeah, that that's that's where we are at present. Um, yeah, a, a, that would involve. Uh, an independent regulator more protection for players at the start and the end of their careers uh you know could can, can the game generate more revenue from other stakeholders you know, who have been the biggest victors in since the the creation of the premier league it's it's been the the it's been gambling companies you know, mm-hmm. if, if you take a look at the uh three, six. I've got, you know, I've, I've, I've got it against gambling companies. I haven't. You know, they're, they're successful businesses in their own right, but they make an awful lot of money out of football. Um, you know, the I, I, I did I did some work for an APPG uh, committee on gambling in in sport, and based on a, my all party parliamentary group, yeah, all party parliamentary group. That's right. No, so, yeah. so I just took yeah. the four largest gambling companies in the UK, and collectively. The, the total money they 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 generated from from uh, wages was uh, around about two hundred and twenty to two hundred and thirty billion pounds. Now to, now to give that some sort of context, yeah, uh, you know, in a pre-COVID year, the the NHS budget's one hundred and twenty billion. So that that's four companies making twice between them twice as much money as the the NHS. Now a lot of that money is recycled, you know, because because they pay out on a lot of bets. But mm-hmm. it, I think it is indicative of uh, just who are the the major beneficiaries? Yeah, uh, you know, we have a we have a horse racing industry which is effectively funded by a a, a gambling levy. Yeah, the, the, horse racing only exists for gambling. Yeah, ninety percent of it. You know, m- m- most meetings are very sparsely attended. Uh, you know, why not introduce some form of levy uh, into into the football industry uh, to, uh, to 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 be caught you know, for, for grassroots football, good causes um player welfare, um you know education, uh th- things
0: like that. We mentioned uh conflict of interest earlier. And do we not think that uh, perhaps there is a, a bit of a conflict of interest with uh with you mentioned Bet 365 now of course um Bet 365 they sponsor uh what well, essentially put their name to Stoke City Stadium and they are you know, Stoke City are effectively owned by Bet 365 oh, they are they are they are actually a um, subsidiary. Yeah, uh, and you have—we've um, well, mentioned them uh, before. Uh, Tony Bloom and Matthew Benham have both yep. made their money from from gambling and uh, have their own um, gambling syndicates.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, is there not a a, a, a well, not a potential for? Uh, is there not actually a, a conflict of interest there? Um, given there is so much, you know, so much gambling money uh, all, or money made from gambling uh, it, from football.
1: Uh, there is there is a potential conflict of interest. I, I think you will find that in all three of those instances that, that you mentioned that they have gone to great lengths that they are distanced from the decision making process, which which could have an impact upon individual markets. And, and what we do have today is that the the gambling industry itself monitors bets with. Uh, extreme accuracy you it, know it's it's got uh, it, it's it, it's got computers crunching numbers by the millisecond because the, the fear of uh, manipulation of markets to to benefit uh, individuals um it, it's more likely to take place in in other leagues than uh, than english football but i, I agree with you it's uh, I, I can see why people feel uneasy about this, and I'm, not, and I'm not defending here because I happen to be a Brighton fan, and we've benefited from from Tony Bloom's uh, incredible benevolence towards the club. Uh, I, I just think the industry as a whole is uh, mon- monitors the uh, you know when bets are placed, what bets are placed on, and so on with uh, with with forensic uh, accuracy. Uh, you know, if, if you want to make money. In football gambling, you 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 don't you don't tend to do it in English football. There are there are other leagues which I'm aware of uh, where
0: things can be arranged. Shall we say? We mm-hmm. so think it's it's fairly safe then in in English football, at least.
1: I I, th- I think it's fairly safe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah, know, we, we we we've seen instances of. I think I think it was Kieran Trippier, wasn't he? He ended up with a ban where he inadvertently said he was you know, moving away uh, yes. from his club. Yes. But, but, and, and that w- the, but that was, there yeah. was no, that was just lads being lads. Yeah. There,
0: there was, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there was just nothing. Throw away lump, lump on it kind of yeah. thing. That's all he said, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, Kieran, I'd love to sit and chat football finance, football governance with you uh, for, well, it's the sort of conversation that I could have from, pub opening time to pub closing time and we we'll still be talking about the same thing at the end of it well I would be anyway I don't know about you but uh, let's before we wrap it up um, this is uh, the last little section and it's just a little bit of light-hearted fun um, it's it's my favourite little bit actually uh, the significant six so six questions six of your favourites essentially okay. so question one then what is the favourite game that you've ever been to
1: um The favourite game I've ever been to is Hereford United versus Brighton Hove Albion on the 3rd of May, 1997, which Mm -hmm. stopped us from going out of existence. Um, It was... was, It's my favourite game, and yet there was zero enjoyment because we drew 1-1. We we initially scored an own goal. We equalised in the 62nd minute, and then... You know, I'd spent the first hour biting my fingernails thinking we were losing, we were going to go out. Uh, and I spent the final 28 minutes praying for survival. And it was a horrible, yeah. horrible, it, it, it's, you know, it, this, this sounds, this sounds glib and, it, and, it, and, it, and I shouldn't even be saying it. It, it. It's like sitting next to a dying relative, hoping that they're going to come through. And you're constantly looking at the life support machine, and, and, I, and I went through that with my father. And I remember doing that in 1976. Or I, I saw my father being given the last rites, and, and that was that's the nearest analogy you can go to And then I have to remember it's only football, uh, but it was yeah the the match I can remember every second of more than any other.
0: Carrying on that that analogy, then the um, the, the, the the man who. Uh, kept the life support machine on, shall we say, uh, Robbie Rhineout. Yeah,
1: absolutely. the sixty-second,
0: sixty-second minute, wasn't it? Yes, and it, it was right in front yep. of the right in front of the Brighton fans as well, um, and he managed to hold out until, well, until full time clearly, and yeah. not just saved your skin, but in many ways saved the club, didn't it? Oh time. yes, yeah, because um,
1: whether the uh... Whether the the national league or its equivalent would have given us a license to play at Gillingham or or its equivalent, yeah, we'd managed to negotiate that with the football league at the time. And, and uh, Graham Kelly, um, I'm 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 not certain that there were there, there were no guarantees, and there was far more there was far less money in non-league football than there is today. Um, so, know yeah, could we have afforded to have covered the rent at uh, at Gillingham? you know, nobody knows.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh, having, having that happen on the, in 1997 and 20 years later, after a little bit of a meandering journey, um, it all, it all came good for Brighton in the end, didn't it? And you're still at that status now with the, what, 30, is it a 33,000 capacity stadium um, in Falmer and Premier League status. And it, it was more than, more than anything. All, an upward journey from that moment, really, um, a significant moment in Brighton's history.
1: Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I mean, what what happened when when we scored the goal was it, it was a terrible, terrible game of football because the players were transfixed by fear. Um, I think their goalkeeper scuffed a, a clearance to our centre forward. He shot Craig Maskell. The ball hit the post, and then time stood still because the ball bobbled out from the post, and six people descended on the ball: the goalkeeper, a couple of defenders, a couple of our players, including Robbie Reinelt. And for that, and, and I, I can still just think what's happening now. And then the ball hit the back of the net, and yeah, you know, we we all we all have a huge release when when the when you score a goal. I, I've never experienced anything like that before or after in my life um that that sheer elation that that ultimate high um and, and yeah you know, and, and we were then we were then absolutely appalling for the remaining half hour of the game <laughs> um it was just just that Hereford were equally bad
0: yeah yeah catch the prize for 92nd and 91st place teams yeah um I, you know I, I'm listening to you thinking about that, that massive release when that equaliser scored. Um, uh, maybe it's the eternal pessimist, pessimist in me, but if, if that was ready, this has happened um, at different times for different circumstances, but um, I, I'm i not sure I could go absolutely absolutely berserk and just release everything because I'd be holding things in thinking there's still half an hour to go. And it's only one all. Maybe if it was a you know, a three niler, and that was the third goal, yeah. it'd be a completely different scenario for me. But yeah, I I, there's, I, I can't help but but think there's we can still balls this up. Oh, um, oh, we we almost did.
1: You know, in in the last minute, uh, a long hopeful ball went over the, the top of our defence. I think it was I think it was Tony Agana or somebody like that who was playing for for Hereford at the time and. Mm-hmm. He he had the whole goal to to choose from. He was twelve yards out, and he shot straight at a goalkeeper.
0: Oh, blimey. He did a uh, an FA Cup final effort then. Yeah, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear! How 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 times changed. Um, what about your favourite away ground? Then I'm assuming it's not Edgar Street, or is it Edgar Street? Um,
1: no, it's not. I mean, I I actually really like the Madstad because. You know, we always used to take big numbers to Reading. Um, and I can remember, you know, when because we we spent a few years battling for promotion together, didn't we? Uh,
0: we did, yes. So, yeah, I've, I've 2000, 2002, obviously, you won the uh division two championship when uh, yeah, yeah we were we were second, uh, we because we drew 11 of our last 12 games, right? Um, Grief. Right. yeah. But yeah, so you 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 you, you won, and a lot of Reading fans, including myself, think that we probably should have won the division. But when you can only draw, yeah, yeah, eleven of your last twelve, then it gives gives the other team. It, 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 well, in fact, it was both yourselves and Brentford, and we ended up ironically getting promoted at Brentford on the last day of the season with a one all draw. Um, and, and let's go even further into it. Of course, Brentford had Stephen Hunt, Eva Inge-Marson, Um yeah. Yep. Uh, Steve Sibwell, okay. of course, you'll be familiar with Steve Sibwell. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, all playing well. for them. Steve, Steve Coppel their manager. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, there was that. There was that time. There, 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 seemed to be not a degree of jealousy, but a degree of. I mean, I, I suppose uh, envy and jealousy the same thing. Um, there's a subtle difference between the two, but there seemed to be uh, sort of that that degree of. Narkiness from Brighton fans um, because we had the Madetsky. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: oh yeah, that and was. Bright- yeah. Bright-
0: Brighton obviously knew that they were at the with Dean. They knew that they could, they could, you know, they they wanted and they needed a, a stadium similar to, if not bigger than, yeah, um, the Madetsky. And of course, they got it in the end, and it, it's bearing fruit now. But at the time, six thousand capacity stadium was really holding you back, wasn't it? But you know, you're still able to on the pitch at least. Um, uh sort of, sort of lock horns on an equal footing with with a, a team with at the time significantly never more resources that ran in work
1: yeah oh yeah yeah and we, we were quite we were quite chippy about it you know we we um and that gave us you know it, it was sort of uh, the squad we had at the time was the the closest thing i would say to to Wimbledon's crazy gang you know they were they were street fight it was a street fighting team plus bobby Zamora. Who was God, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. you know he, his purple patch in in the two seasons when we had, yeah, you know, we we won back to back championships on on the strength of, of Bobby's ability to to score was uh, was amazing, ha- having come through that very lean period where yeah we couldn't afford to sign anybody we were we were finishing ninety first, uh, so he he became our sort of icon um as 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 a player and you know i, I remember when he came back a, a few years ago and you know bobby were the first to admit that he was you know his, his his legs weren't what they used to be but uh i i remember being at ellen road when he scored last minute winner there and that was the, you know, sort of one of his first matches back that was, that was an incredible experience
0: yeah he was a bit of a thorn in the side um for Reading over the yes. years, um, yes. and it's an exceptionally gifted, gifted player. And of course, he scored. I think in the in the February, it was uh, at the Withdean. It was our first ever visit to the Withdean. We were top of the league. Brighton were second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was horrible, squally night. Was Brighton comfortably won and deservedly one three one, which kind of just pushed them on. You got you managed to get a nil nil draw at the Maidahe about a month. Later. I, I was
1: there. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, you denied a last-minute winner as well with we were. Uh, yeah. a, a, a nothing foul. I think it, I'm not sure if it was Phil Whitehead. We had so many keepers that season. Um, I'm, might have been Phil Whitehead, but
1: yeah, and it was right in
0: front of your fans. Yeah, um, yeah, a, a a Garrett, cagey Garrett game. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Very, very cagey game. Um, yeah, you. That was. Uh, yeah, it, 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 we'd started showing a few nerves at that point in time. That was when the draws really started. Started happening games that we should have won. Uh, we ended up drawing 2 2, 1 0. Um, yeah, it was uh, a difficult end of the season, but we got there in the end, just about. So, was 01 was, was 0102 your favorite season then, or is there another one? Um,
1: I, I would say the year that the, the I would say that the year we were promoted under Gus Poye from league one 10 11 10 11 yeah possibly yeah uh because for the first time in my time supporting the club we had an identity in terms of the way that we played football Mm -hmm. uh he 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 encouraged the center halves to carry the ball you know it it was it it, we became a real ball-playing team uh we had both glenn murray and ashley barnes uh in League one, yeah, you know, and they mm-hmm. they've both gone on to have successful careers in the Premier League, so uh th- that they both got twenty goals that season and, and we had we had one week where we we won four nil at uh Charlton, followed by three nil at Peterborough, where we played the best football I think has ever been seen in League one. It was it was just magnificent. We had, we we were swaggering our way through matches. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was probably the the greatest season. Yeah, uh, in in terms of uh, punching above our weight. Yeah, when, when we were promoted uh, under Chris Hewton, um, and and deservedly so. Although we we proceeded to mess up winning the the championship itself by uh, picking up one point from our final three games. Uh. I, that that was deserved, and it, and we played some great football that year. But uh, I think the Poye promotion season, in the knowledge that we were moving to, uh, Falmer the following season, yeah, just set things up, uh, and that was very memorable.
0: Because you, uh, you 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 pipped Southampton to the to the title as well, didn't you? Uh, Southampton had a poor start to the season. Um, if I remember rightly. I think they started the season with uh, with, with Alan Pardew in charge, didn't they? But uh, yeah. uh, ended up... At, well, he lasted two or three games and then they, they appointed Nigel Adkins from Scunthorpe. Um, but you, you you were just relentless that season. You only lost, uh, I think it was six or seven games. Um, and I remember seeing you seeing you on, on TV a couple of times, I think, and it was just... You're right in terms of the, um, the identity, it was it was almost something that hadn't really been been seen to well very often at all, if if at all in in League One. And you know what's got to be remembered is you know you had a team like uh, Peterborough United. So who you say, who you, say you, you, you 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 absolutely smashed off the park three um, uh, nil. Uh, they were a team that could score a hell of a lot of goals. They had uh, was it Darren Ferguson um, as their manager. Yeah, Huddersfield pretty- who who were they- under. Um, Lee Clark, who yeah. who barely lost a game at all. I think they were yeah. they were in the middle of their uh, um, uh, was it their forty six game uh forty six game un, unbeaten run. Mm. Um, you know, and you know, Bournemouth were just starting to get it together. Um, it was yeah, it was some feat really for for a club uh, the resources that Brighton had at the time uh, to finish top of that division and comfortably so wasn't it.
1: Yeah, we we were we were there or thereabouts for most of the season, and then we've yeah, a couple of there've been some cup matches, been matches postponed, and we had to play seven games in March, and we won all seven, and every match we won was by a single goal, and that was you know incredible, and we're talking about you know again you know as football fans it do, it doesn't matter. how glamorous the opposition you know it was a 4-3 against carlisle which will live in the memory forevermore and you know we scored a last minute winner those those type of things were just just incredible
0: always good when you get a last minute winner. oh yeah Yeah, particularly in in a significant game yeah what about your favorite ever away day then
1: favorite ever away day um the fifth round of the FA Cup, nineteen eighty-three, when we beat Liverpool two-one. I think I referred to it earlier. Uh,
0: mm-hmm, you did. Yeah, it was
1: a Sunday afternoon match, which was unusual in those days. Um, I, I remember I, I caught the train from Manchester to Liverpool. I arrived two minutes before the kickoff because the trains had been delayed, and it was the, the ground was rocking. You know, it, if, if you go to Anfield these days. It, it is sanitized because there's so many tourist fans there um, absolutely yeah yeah but uh you know the cop were in good voice and uh and we were bottom of the league one, or, or sorry of, of the first division but it, the fans had got the cup fever yeah we, we we'd won a couple of games so we, we took seven thousand on a sunday um and uh yeah we won two one they missed a penalty towards the end great just a, just a great day out
0: I've been fortunate enough to see Reading win an FA Cup tie at Anfield. It um, exactly. wasn't quite seven thousand of us there; there was only about thousand. But um, it doesn't matter about you know whether or not the atmosphere is sanitized. I mean, there were only thirty-three thousand there anyway. Yeah. Um, but there's uh, something about a a, a a cup win, at a club with the aura yeah, of, exactly. of, of of Anfield of, of, of Liverpool, and having it you know, not just at home. but It's even better when it happens away, isn't it? Oh, without doubt. Okay, so what about your uh, going into players? Then your the, your favorite current Albion player? Um, the fav- My favorite current
1: Albion player would be Eve Bissouma, who is uh, who joined us three years ago as a scraggy kid picked up from a French team and in he's, he's funny you know he, he's he, he's slightly he's slightly nuts but in a really endearing way uh <laughs> yeah. he's uh you know how we've managed to keep hold of him because last last season in my view he was the the best midfielder in his particular role in, in the premier league he, he's he, he's uh he, he he's ironed out his deficiencies in his game and he's become a complete midfield player. He's, he's only 25. Uh, you know, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that, that nobody does come in for him in this window because without doubt, he was our best player by a country mile last season, although he, he didn't win player of the season because Leeds United fans hijacked the player of the season awards and voted for Ben White instead. Um, But yeah, magnificent player, really nice kid. Um and you know somebody who I think will will grace a club of a far higher stature than Brighton Nova'll
0: be in pretty soon mm-hmm. didn't you sign him he had a it was a significant transfer fee that you signed him was it Lille that he came from
1: yeah I, th- I think well, it's, you know, I think it's around about nine ten million so yeah you know, it's it's substantial but without being eye watering um we you know he he's. He he will. You, you could add a zero to that, and, and it would not be uh, unfair. You know, given his mm-hmm. age, given his given his ability, uh, he he is the the next Cante in my view. And right. he, he would. I, I, I look at the clubs towards the top end of the Premier League. Who he would improve? He would be a perfect replacement for Fernandinho at Manchester City. He could certainly take the place of either Fred or McTominay at Manchester United um i think if liverpool are looking for a replacement for henderson then then you know, uh, Eve would be uh you know superb for them as well and uh yeah. you know kante is towards the end of his career you know, or not yeah you know, he's not in the not in the first flush of his career at
0: chelsea does he is he does he play for france or does he play for one of the african nations uh mali mali right okay uh, and, and presumably, that's, that's, that's an absolute he's played in a competitive game for Mali, so can't play yeah. for any other nation. Yeah, that's right. That's the case, yeah. Okay. So, do we, do we think that there's perhaps a chance for, you know, with, with players of that caliber coming out of Mali, um, do we think that there's perhaps the chance of, of Mali actually reaching a World Cup at any point in, in, in the future, or and having him on the world stage and perhaps putting an extra zero on his value?
1: Um, I, I, I'm not convinced uh, because he is superb at what he does, but ultimately, he doesn't score goals, Yeah, you know, and, and, yeah. and that, that's what pushes you through in terms of competitions.
0: So, what about last but not least your favorite all time Albion player? Um, I think
1: my favorite all time player would be Mark Lawrenson. In, in terms of the best player that I ever saw grace the club um, mm-hmm. and, and he, and he did grace us. You know, he was a, um, he he was a gazelle in a, in a herd of wildebeest. Yeah. You know, he he was a, a magnificent player who, who was a fantastic center half. He could play at right back. He could play at midfield. Um, so I think, you know, he would be my favorite player in terms of all round ability in terms of Player who who I love the most, and and you know this is this is a bromance style of love. It would be Glenn Murray. Um, he, I, I remember him making his debut. We, yeah, we'd signed this scraggy kid from Rochdale for three hundred grand. Yeah, and we're going. Who, who is he? Uh, he <laughs> the first time I saw him was away to Northampton um, when he came on as a sub and scored. But but he he scored goals for fun with us. He he. Put in a few transfer requests. He he left us to go to Crystal Palace, which was the most heinous of crimes. But yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The the
1: club screwed up. Yeah, you know, it was the biggest mistake the club ever made. We we would have been in the Premier League, or rather, Crystal Palace would not have been in the Premier League, which is just as good. Um, many years beforehand. Um, and, and then he came back, and of course he, you know, when he, the season he came back, he got another twenty goals, uh, and then you know for two seasons in the Premier League, he. He was our, our leading goal scorer and, and was just magnificent.
0: Yeah, I had the, the fortune of seeing Glenn Murray play for four months. He had a loan spell at Reading, ah, yeah. a loan from yeah. Palace. Um, and he scored eight Got a poor team. We had a very yeah. poor team, uh, but he scored eight goals in that uh, sort of, uh, end of August to um, end of December. Yeah, in- including, um,
1: including two at the annex
0: including two at the Amex exactly yes yeah two will draw uh, two yeah. early goals they were the last goals he scored for us uh, and um, he ended up as our top scorer that season which tells you everything that you need to know yeah he ended up going back to palace and uh, and then eventually back to Brighton and yeah yeah, you know, yeah we, we couldn't, yeah. yes yeah we couldn't uh, yeah we, we we couldn't afford to sign him um, in the jan- in the January unfortunately but no he was uh, a really well a poacher. A really, really good, mm. good goal mm. scorer. I mean, it was only eight goals in in four months, but as I say, it was in a poor team. Um, and both him and, funnily enough, his uh, the 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 kid who scored uh, eight goals alongside him was Simon Cox. Oh yeah, yeah, he also he also didn't score a goal from uh, December onwards. Right. Um, so <laughs> again, that tells you everything that you need to know about our season. So. No, it's a, it's a good choice. And he's, he's, particularly since he joined Brighton that first time, he's he's just scored goals. Yeah. Um, he knows where the back of the net is. And, you know, he he's not just a, a one type of goal scorer, is he? He can score all types of goals.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, people think of him as a... I think people mistake him to be a classic number nine, but there's far more to his game than that. He was a very gifted player. You know, he could skate around defenders and keepers Uh. Yeah, and know uh, yeah, he's he's a complex character, Glenn. I think people you know are fairly aware of that. But uh, yeah, love, love love the bloke.
0: Yeah, and he's he's doing rather well on um, uh, with the EFL highlights as well. Um, yes, the EFL yeah. uh, punditry sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he comes across very well in that, and alongside uh, the likes of Joby Mappinoff and Liam Rossini previously, and you know players that have come played predominantly in in the EFL. And if he carries on with that uh, uh, degree of eloquence, then he'll do really well for himself. Yeah. Right, Kieran. Um, it's been like I say, it's what, what can I say? Um, the first of my big hitters on my podcast. Uh, it's uh, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's well, thank been, you for the it's invite, been, it's been enlightening, and hopefully, you've enjoyed talking about oh, yeah, and, yeah, and your history, uh, yeah. supporting them. Um, just a couple of uh, little bits and pieces from me before we go. Uh, so usual spiel social media, um. You can follow Terrace Memoirs uh, on Twitter uh, at Terrace Memoirs. There's a Facebook group of the same name. Uh, and if you've got any issues, you want to uh, sort of come on the show, you want to recommend somebody, uh, put me in touch with somebody, or uh, anything along those lines, or even if you want to discuss what you want to have for tea in, in the evening, then just give me an email. Uh, the email address is Terrace Memoirs at gmail.com. Um, but uh, no, thank you so, so much, Kieran. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, hopefully, this will this will uh, this will this resonate with a lot of people as well. Um, but uh, yeah, this is Terrace was over and out.